Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast at sportingjournalradio.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how are you doing? Hi. Good. Are you ready for Kodiak? I can't believe we're going. Well, we'll be there. Should be there by the time this airs. Oh, man. So you're watching us here, but we're there. Yeah. So we pre-record this show and we will be traveling to Alaska, Kodiak Island in Alaska for an amazing trip of a lifetime. We're going to be uh, hunting sea ducks up there, of course, and the other waterfowl, but also learning about uh, the island, checking out the scenery, uh, going in search of other wildlife, learning about the culture and the management of waterfowl. It's a little bit different management there than it is, say, in the central or Mississippi flyaways and how ducks are managed and how they're researched. I mean, you're talking about chasing ducks around in the ocean. So we're going to be learning all about that for a film that we're going to put out next year for North American Waterfowl. So look for the North American Waterfowl show on uh, on Instagram uh, to follow us more and also Facebook so you can follow us more there. And we'll be talking about it more uh, over the next couple of weeks here on this show right here. And we're going to talk waterfowl a lot this week with Art Diaz. Uh, Art Diaz photos on Instagram. Great waterfowl photographer. Good dude. And also works for Alclair Audio, which is uh, what you're seeing here and what we we use for custom hearing protection when we hunt as well too. custom mullet hearing protection. Why should you care about that? Because it's your hearing. It's one of your senses. And every time you pull the trigger without hearing protection, you're going to lose a little bit of it and you don't get it back. So we're going to talk about how important it is to protect your hearing while you're hunting. And we're going to get into a waterfowl and taking pictures and how his season over in South Dakota, how the duck hunting and goose hunting was in South Dakota this fall. We'll also talk to Joe Henry as ice builds up north. How are lake conditions right now at Lake of the Woods? Are they ice fishing? What's it look like? Uh, Joe will tell us here in just a little bit. First though, Dan, who are the sponsors this week? This week we have On X. Know where you stand with On X. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. I can't wait for our trip. Live Target. Match the hatch at livetargetlures.com. Habel Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at habelheights.com. Alclair Audio. Save your hearing in the field with Alclair. Learn more at alclair.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter this winter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts in January. Catch episodes anytime, though, at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for listings. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybale Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. 
the number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand at sportingjournalradio.com. Wherever you get your podcasts or maybe you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, that's Dan Amundsen right over there too. He's joining us. And if you've noticed, if you're watching this, underneath that like, subscribe, and share, when that gets done scrolling across, you'll see some something new down in the corner down there, and that's Alclair Outdoors. And to tell us more about what Alclair is, Art Diaz is going to join us now on the show. Art, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm glad you're with us and I'm excited uh, to be working with you guys because hearing protection has been something I've been uh, a proponent of my whole life. Uh, so I grew up with uh, a dad and a brother that shot all the time. And I had two uncles that both had two sons and the nine or 10 of us with my grandpa, we would hunt all the time growing up. And I was, I was about eight years younger, six years younger, I guess, from the next oldest one. Most of them are all a good, you know, eight to 12, 13 years older than I am. And I noticed as we got older and older, their hearing got worse and worse and worse. And I was a beneficiary of that in the sense that they pushed wear hearing protection on me constantly. So while, while some of them, I think, Dan, I think your dad, my brother, he ended up getting some, some hearing aids pretty early in life because of, because of shooting and, and he's on up. set like number three now, I think, or something. He really? Well, he keeps running them through the wash. So he keeps <laughs> wrecking them, but yeah, he's, he's still got another pair and he's 50, what he just 55. I think he just turned the other day and that's young to have hearing aids, but yeah. yeah. And he's had them for a while. Yeah. Ever yeah. since I've been alive, I think. So we've been, I've been a big proponent and I pushed Dan when he, when he started hunting with us, when he was young, I, I pushed him to get some, some hearing protection. So it's, it's pretty important and art as you know, you and I have both seen it. You'll be in sharing a blind with somebody and they'll, they won't be wearing earplugs or any sort of hearing protection. I'm like, I don't need that stuff. I like, I like to hear, you know, and which, which I think is funny because every time somebody tells me that I say, well, if you like to hear, you'd wear hearing protection because <laughs> you're going to lose it and you don't get that back, do you? Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's one of those things that it's so gradual that people don't realize it until it's too late. Um, it's not like, I feel like your vision, you would notice like, oh man, yeah, it's grainy. It's been blurry. You know, it happened two days ago. You would really notice that we're hearing. It's like, man, all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're 50 and people around you are like, you can't hear anything. You have the volume on 10 on the TV, in your radio, um, in conversations. So it, it totally is like that. Once you get it and it's good, keep it that way. I would recommend saving anything you have left. Um, in any form or fashion of it, just please do something to take care of it. Uh, Cause once it's gone, it's not coming back. And then you'll live kind of the long life of hearing aid after hearing aid after hearing aid. And they're not 
inexpensive. They're kind of a pain in the butt. You just deal with them and um, just kind of is what it is. But yeah, hopefully it's a, it's a new thing that we really consider as a viable part of our um, equipment list, just as important as a good set of waders or a shotgun or whatever. Um, I think that hearing protection is now at a point where uh, it's going to you know enhance the hunt. It's going to make it better and then also just protect you long term. It's so important. And, you know, getting a high end set of earplugs or custom hearing protection, they're not cheap. But when you think about it, it's one of your senses. And, you know, and, and maybe I I've got guys that I hunt with that are that are younger than I am. And my hearing is better than theirs is. And maybe it's because and I'm definitely losing some just because I'm getting older and do hunt a lot, but I try to wear hearing protection all the time, but maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm, and I'm starting to realize that, Hey, I'm not, I'm not as young as I once was. I want to hold on to everything that I can, you know, try to keep my body in a, you know, I'm definitely abused my body. I'm not going to say I'm a picture of perfect health by any means, but I, I want to try to be as healthy as I possibly can and preserve my senses as best I can. And, and hearing is one of those things. It's a pretty valuable sense to have. Like we all use it every day. And when something as simple as, as covering your ears, when you fire a gun at something can help you prolong that hearing, uh, you know, it just wear something, but having something custom that also will help you. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem with people is they realize that once they put earplugs in, if you're trying to communicate with someone in a, you know, in an A-frame or a duck blinder, if you're in layouts and there's a guy's, you know, especially if it's a little bit windy and a, a guy three or four layouts down from you, you got to, you got to almost yell for them to hear you. And if they got earplugs in, you know, there's no communication going on there. So having something that can amplify a little bit so you can communicate, but then block out those loud noises. I mean, that's just going to make your experience that much more enjoyable out there. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's one of your senses. I remember um, before I even worked for the company, I was at a trade show um, working with a different company in the outdoor space. And uh, my wife, when I got home was like, Hey, how did it go? What did you buy? Cause you always need one more thing when you're out there, you know? And I was like, nothing really, you know, like I have had new decoys at the year that year. I've got a new shotgun. Everybody has a new super high performance waterfowl load, yada, yada. And I was like, man, there, there was this head, uh, hearing protection company that I wanted to try, but they're kind of expensive. And without missing a beat, she was like, yeah, but it's your hearing. Like it's your senses. Like how much would you pay for the eyesight? You know? Yeah. And you're kind of like a lot more than a thousand bucks. I know that much, you know, like especially waterfowl hunting, it, it's, there's so much gear that goes, that's involved with it. Just next time you, you pack for a trip, just think about the amount of bags and things you bring with you. And, um, it's, you know, I'd be the first to guy to say like, oh yeah, new decoys came out. You sold your whole spread. You got new ones. I got a new trailer, a new super black Eagle came out. You had to buy that, you know, all those kind of things. But at the time I was putting hearing protection on just the, the back burner mm-hmm. where it was kind of like, ah, it'd be cool someday. But, um, now that I'm married and have kids and stuff, it just kind of switched a little bit. I was like, man, you know, maybe it, I've always worn like a foamy or like rolled something up and kind of done, um, made, made way to help it, but not like fully protected. And like you said, once you invest into a custom set, something that can amplify something that is not a hindrance because you're totally right. When you put those foamy plugs in, everything now kind of sounds like this, mm-hmm. you know, you lose all of it and you're constantly pulling it out because you couldn't hear what they're laughing at and all the commodity, all the stuff that's going on for some folks, that's the only time they get to see their friends. You know, if you're, if you're busy and you're working 50 hours a week and you got a wife and kids, like, the weekend might be the only time that you get to hang out with your buddies and you're catching up on life and stuff. So it's a huge part of 
of waterfowl hunting with your friends, upland hunting, that, those kind of things where you, where you talk a lot. But yeah, it's, it's a game changer once you have that um, ability to still hear and you're not dinking with them all the time. You're not pulling them in and out and setting yeah. them down and your hands aren't cold and they're not bloody or muddy and feathers all over the place. And um, it, it, it makes a world of difference. When I, I had a habit of just wearing one in my left ear, at, you know, as I would shoot, it'd be the left one that would be affected the most. And then, you know, I'd put a foamy in or, or whatever in the left ear so then I could still hear in the right one. Well, every time I did that, I'm still doing damage to the right ear the whole time. So having one that I can put in both and then still be able to have a conversation is pretty important. And I want to talk about ducks and waterfowl and waterfowl photography and how your duck season was over there in South Dakota. But I want to just stay on on hearing protection for just a little bit longer here um, because I think it's a pretty important topic that everybody should should pay attention to. And as, as you know, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I think, and you and I have talked about it off the air. You still have guys out there that that think that they're, you know, uh, they're, they're too tough for it. They don't need it. Or, or earplugs are for, are for wimps, you know, or, or whatever. But, uh, again, it's, it's pretty important to have. And you, when you talk about getting gear for water, waterfall is not a cheap hobby. So when you look at, you know, your decoys and your trailer and your shotguns and, you know, like your Sitka gear or your high end clothing gear, you're, you're spending, a, you're spending a lot of money. And the more you do that, you more, you, the more you realize how much you like having nice gear. <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. when you when you spend money on it, you start to realize, gosh, it's it's this is kind of comfortable. This is kind of nice. I like having nice things, and and hearing protection should be included in that conversation. Yeah, I would say I can't remember who said it, but um, it's crazy how comfortable you can be in uncomfortable situations. Um, you know when you know, late season when it gets cold up here and you're waiting for the birds to fly and, you know, all those kind of things. Like it gets, it gets frigid and people think you're crazy. You're like, you were sitting in the middle of a field for eight <laughs> hours waiting for this thing to happen. And you're like, yep. And I do it again tomorrow. Um, but I, I always tell folks too, it's kind of like um, when Rota molded coolers, for example, I, I feel like Yeti was like a, just a huge like shift in that, in that industry where people are like, are you crazy? $600 for a cooler? Are you out of your mind? For how long did people use, you know, $20 Coleman's basically to get by and all of a sudden you have one and you're like, I can't imagine not, you yeah. know, and even now the conversation went from, are you crazy? That's so expensive to now. It's like, man, I've got a 75 quart in the back of my truck. I've got a 60 in the, in the camper. I've got <laughs> a 45 right. in my boat. I've got a 10 quart in the back of my, in my cab of my truck. You've got all the tumblers and accessories and all the things. And now I can't tell you how many friends have 2000 plus dollars worth of, tumblers and coolers and whatever and that's just normal you know rota molded dog kennels another big one mm -hmm. people are like dude 700 bucks for a dog kennel are you kidding me and now everybody i know has got two of them in the back of their truck you yeah. know and um it is one of those things that once you have it once you realize like man if, if you did get in an accident and you lost your dog would you oh, be man. willing to pay 700 dollars the next day if i could bring them back I know every single one of my friends would say, I'll give you $700 before you finish with that sentence. I paid double, you know, yeah. yeah, easily. And the same thing with hearing, you know, I would love to have this conversation at 55, like Dan's dad uh, was saying. And it's like, man, if I told him, Hey, can you go back to being 21 and I'd give you your hearing back and it's only going to cost you nine ninety five? Would you do it? People would be like, no brainer. I'd do it. And that's, that's kind of the, the learning curve that I think we're on right now is people are really starting to think like, Hey man, this is a viable, important part of um, what I'm going to be doing for a long time. And that's the other thing is when, when you talk to folks who enjoy hunting, most of them don't think like, yeah, man, I don't know. I think I'm going to try this hunting thing out for the next seven months. And if, if I don't like it, I'll probably quit. 
pretty much anybody that I've come across says they've done it since they were kids. They're, yeah. you know, people in their family did it. It's a lifestyle. It's not something that short of losing my limbs, I don't think I'd ever give it up for any reason. You know, it's like, I can't imagine ever being like, yeah, I'm going to sell my bread and get out of it. I don't want to yeah. do another, another head. I'm done. You know, it's like that thought has literally never crossed my mind. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to invest in yourself in the future. Just like you said, you know, once you have a nice gun, it's hard to go back. Once you have nice clothing that keeps you warm and dry, it's hard to go back. And I think once you have a season under your belt with these things and you realize like, man, that stuff is so harmful to your hearing and the effects of just the quality of your life in your career with your kids, you know, all your family, all that kind of stuff. And if you can't hear, that's a, that's a big part of your every day that, um, you can't get back, you know? Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you like, so we're doing this Alaska trip and, um, we got some new Sitka gear to bring up there. And, uh, you know, I've got some Sitka stuff already and I had the layout suit and it's pretty layout jacket, layout coat is pretty, pretty warm. Uh, but ended up getting the new Boreal jacket and then did a little, did a little test hunting with it. We had a couple pretty cold days where we went out and did some goose hunting out here. And I was shocked. Like I couldn't believe how well it stopped the wind and just how warm it was. And then Dan, I think you'd ordered the, the neck gaiter and I didn't. I didn't order one originally, and then I looked at it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I want one of those. Yeah, for $40 to keep, the, basically, if your neck gets cold, the rest of you is cold, whew, it's yeah. the best thing I've ever owned. And it's like it's like wrapping your entire head in, like, the it's the, the, the Prima Loft or whatever. It just, it's it's so warm and comfortable. It's like and your bed sheets. Yeah, like was, you never got out of bed. My face was sweating. Like, <laughs> it was, I had to take it off after a little while. But it, when we were in the blind, it was nice I could take it off. But when we got out and that wind hit you, it was uh, it was nice to have. So having the, having the right gear just makes those experiences so much more uh, enjoyable. And, you know, I'm wearing these two, all right, so these are the Studio 3 triple drivers, and we're talking, I got the EXP Pros, and yeah. that's what I'm using when I'm out there hunting, but now when we're in here recording, so not maybe not every hunter is going to wear something like these, but these are, are more common with the other side of the Alclair business, and that's the musician side. You guys have been in the audio business for a long time. Yeah, um, so Mark Musselman is the owner, uh, him and his wife Amy. And they've been in the audio game with their family for a long, long, long time. Um, he kind of is the one that's the the child that said, man, I, hearing aids is, is good and that's got its place, but I want to make it fun. I want to spend time with, with these folks. And um, music has always kind of been a big passion of theirs. So we started making monitors. Man, I can't, I don't even know, probably at least 12 years ago, I would say, maybe even longer than that. Um, they did, they have a, hearing aid practice as well that they were involved with in their family, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would say a big part of our business is taking care of artists. Um, people you see on TV every day, people you hear on the radio, um, wear our ears. So a huge part of our clientele base, um, makes their living playing music and traveling and entertaining folks. And, um, the outdoors is something that's super prevalent in that community as well. You know, even for Mark, his main passion is upland hunting and, um, same thing with me when I when I came across the company uh, as a customer, you know, over a decade ago, I bought their monitors. Uh, I was traveling as a musician at the time and purchased them there. And um, we just we hit it off because we both like the outdoors and we that's a big part of our life. So this is just kind of a an extension of that, something that really matters to us and another way to help serve and take care of some folks. And a Minnesota based company. Yes, sir. Yep. They've been in 
um, Minnesota since the beginning and they are in Osseo. And we have a shop in Nashville, Tennessee as well to take care of our touring community of artists. That's cool. Well, I'll tell you, and you know, we get a lot of people that watch this that are content creators or videographers, they film things. And I'm excited to wear these. If I'm filming a hunt somewhere, uh, that I can not only have my hearing protection, but I can plug these right into my camera and I can have hearing protection. Plus I can, I can monitor the audio going into my camera. So these might be a great option for those out there trying to film some hunts as well. Yeah. Especially with the isolating properties of it, you know, especially if folks are wearing like a, this style of a headphone or whatever, it can be loud out there with wind and calling and all the things that you really want to like isolate, like how, how much volume are you taking into your camera? You know, cause once you, once it's all shot and you get back and your ed, your audio is horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's not a good situation to be in, especially if you're away from home or on a hunt that's really special and that you can't replicate. I mean, that's, that'll put you in a pickle quick. So a lot of folks have been really enjoying um, that, that use for, like you said. So I've had different custom uh, hearing protection. I've had I've had a set of uh, custom hearing protection in the past. And back then with this other company, we did our own molds. And I think me and Tony Crotty did it one night after there may have been a couple of Windsor uh, sevens involved before we did it. Uh, I think we got it right, but it was definitely an, an experience and we didn't know what we were doing. With you guys, you... Uh, you recommend either going into the shop there or going to see an audiologist to get your molds made? Yeah, um, we, we were very intentional about that. And as much as I wish there was a way that I could send, you know, kits to people and do it at home, just because of the, you know, increase in sales that you would get is something that we weren't really willing to lose the quality of a seal, the, the, the whole thing you know, about this is that it's a custom made product. It's supposed to fit you perfectly. Um, with the two pole, you know, the two part kind of gummy stuff that you just kind of bubble gum shove in your ear, it gets a little bit, but once you see our molds and how it goes all the way, you know, into your ear canal and, and right to that first bend, um, it's, it's something that I wouldn't just recommend anybody to like, Hey man, try this, you know? And I, I jokingly tell folks, I'm like, have you ever tried to back up a trailer with your wife? It's the hardest thing in the world that makes you want to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge twice, you know? And it's like, man, I couldn't imagine just like, here, just shove it all the way into my ear canal. Like try to get it close to the eardrum and hope for the best, you know? Yeah. Um, I would hate for someone to experience some sort of damage to their eardrum or something like that. So we're very adamant about it. It's super easy. Um, it's It feels like you're setting up an appointment with like a doctor and it's going to be kind of a big deal. It's not. It takes you five minutes to get your impressions made. It's super quick and easy and safe. Um, it just takes someone who, who's done it before and is a trained professional or um, someone who's, who, who can do the job well. And you send them to us and we, we uh, 3D scan them from there and make them just for you. Yeah, and, and, you, and you've got different events out and about where you'll do molds for people too if they come up and see you if you're set up for doing that, right? Oh yeah, yep, at every trade show. Um, we always have at least one designated person taking molds and at, at a lot of them, people just start to line up just to get their impressions taken and we do them free of charge at the show. Um, also I travel a lot to different outfitters and, you know, visit clients and guides and all that stuff. So once I'm on the road, I'll stop all over the place and, um, take some impressions of folks too. I can't tell you how many I've done out of the back of my, my truck bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then otherwise, uh, like Dan was just going to go up to a, a local, local ear doctor here in town and get them made and they weren't going to be they're pretty cheap too i think to get done 25 dollars. yeah yeah my, easy peasy my in there thing, for 20 minutes 
Yeah, my big thing I tell folks is just go to Google, type in audiologist or hearing aid center close to you. Um, call them, let them know that it's not for hearing aids, it's not an insurance thing. You're just looking at getting custom made earplugs from a company um, and it should be pretty inexpensive from there. Well, getting back to cameras a little bit, our, you're a guy that spends some time out there taking pictures and taking stills. We should talk a little bit about waterfowl, waterfowl photography and, and uh, just duck hunting in general. You're over yeah. there in South Dakota. How was your season this year? Oh man, it was dry. We started off looking pretty rough. It, it was, um, I had this weird mixed like split. I was excited for the new opportunities that it would present itself. I was bummed because every single one of my favorite holes was dry, dry. And I'm talking about cracks from your road, like dry. Um, so we had to shift gears. We luckily, one of the guys I hunt with, um, he loves to hunt out of his boat and that's kind of a, how he grew up hunting and, and what he prefers. So we just went to uh, bigger bodies of water and, and traffic birds. And I mean, we had an awesome, like I, I can't complain. We shot him for a lot of days in a row and, um, I can only recall one bad hunt, which was ironically next to the best hunt. We had one day where the, I, I love the part of the year where you can like almost like actively see the migration start. You know, you get like a huge per, push of birds and you're like, you know, for a fact that those were not there yesterday or in that yeah. area, you know, the last few days or whatever. And it was exactly like that. We had one of those mornings that you're, it was just a lights out, like everything was finishing perfect. You've, I mean, it was it was the first time that I felt like we had a ton of time to take photos and to do all the things we wanted to, and it just ended too quickly. But then the immediate next day was a ghost town. Um, oh. So that was that was my only hunt this year that I felt like, man, that was that was rough. We got our butts whooped that day. Um, but other than that, it was it was fun. We had a we had a really cool early season. We hit that same kind of October lull where things haven't really pushed in, and the ones that have been around have gotten kind of gotten beat up a little bit. So we, we took a little break there and I was busy with work anyway. So I missed a, a few days doing that. And then, um, once November hit things were, were back and cooking and, um, it's been great. We shot a bunch of snow geese this year that we usually don't target them too much, but they were around and oh, that's got, a awesome. of good hunts. got some, got some good spec hunts in this year. And, Dang. um, of course, always after the mallard. So it's been, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. You know, it's funny that you say that, and now, now I'm real jealous. I was trying to get you over here for a hunt, and we just couldn't make it work, but it sounds like I should have come over there for a hunt because it sounds like you had better hunting than we did. We were so dry over here, and we didn't get our push. It's funny that you talk about the October lull and the November push because that's that's what I talk about. That's what I experience here, too, and granted, we're, we're not too far away from each other in the grand scheme of things. You know, we're pretty close to South Dakota over here, but I've been, I've been I don't want to say I've been arguing with them, but there's there's a couple of people and every year this comes up right around this time because somebody posted on Facebook, oh, it's it's the end of the duck season in Minnesota. Where's all these pile pictures? You guys always talk about it being so good right now. And it just a deluge of pile pics came into this Facebook uh, post, this Facebook group post, because everybody smashed this last week. We've got a pile of mallards around. We've got the most geese around that we've had all season now. Uh, and literally the last day of the duck season was the best mallard hunt that I heard about in, in my area. And we had some good mallard hunts for probably a week or two before that around here. But really, it wasn't until this last week, last two weeks of the season that we've really had a good concentration of mallards 
birds to chase around here. And, and there's some guys that are just, oh, the best hunting's in mid-October, and I don't know why you guys want to want to push the season later and go later. I like shooting teal. And I'm like, you know what, man? I like shooting teal too, but when it's 90 degrees and I'm trudging through the mud, I'm not enjoying it. Not as much yeah. as I am when I'm laying in a, in a cut cornfield in mid to late November, and there's 500 mallards spinning my decoys. Like, to me, that's, that's just more fun. Um, but it, you can't, and I've learned one thing is you can't please everybody in the waterfall world. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how much tactics changed, you know, obviously throughout the country too, you know, some, you see folks and people are over there tearing them apart on the internet of like, man, what a dummy. I would never set my blah, blah, blah this way. I would never hunt out of a whatever blind or yeah. this in the field or that the other thing. And it's funny. There's been times like where I've, I've gone to different places and I had, I'm like, Dude, this would never in a million years work where I'm from. I can't believe we're actually doing it this morning. Like, and these all these people here paid money to be here today. Hell like, yeah. this is. I can't wait to see what this feels like at 10:30 in the morning. And you know, here here comes the sun, and it's off. There's a pile of birds, and you're shooting them, and everything's going great. But um, yeah, a big thing for me is I always love the interactiveness of um, hunting mallards. Is kind of what what I really love, and it feels like there's just something about those November ones that when you hit them and it's nice and sunny and there's a little wind mm. and you about break their necks, you know, when they turn on you, uh, there's just nothing better for that. And like you said, I love shooting teal. I love eating them. I love all that stuff. And it's fun, but there's just not the interactiveness with the bird that um, I feel like you get with a November mallard or even just hunting this time of year, you know? I think, I think um, a lot of it is the size of those groups too. You know, I, I really got to, got into snow goose hunting in the last 10 years, well, probably about 10 years ago. And then spent, uh, spent, I don't know, five or six years trying to chase them pretty hard. And what I always liked about them was just, you couldn't see anything like it in any other scenario in the waterfall world, right? Like you might get a flock of 5,000 snow spinning above you and the noise is so deafening. doesn't matter if you're calling at them or if you got an e-caller going, they're not going to hear it anyway. And if it's adults, they're, they're also the worst because they probably won't decoy. They might put on a little show and spin at like 80 yards and then bust out and say, yeah, I've seen this game before. Uh, but once you get that big group of juvies to do it, there's just nothing like it. Uh, and the closest to that is maybe lesser Canada's working like snows. And then even to, to a lesser extent, big groups of mallards that'll spin around you in a cornfield. And you just don't like seeing seeing a, a ball of teal coming in at 100 miles an hour is fun and if you're lucky you can get your gun shouldered before they zip zip out of the decoys again or they'll just land and swim into the decoys and act like you know they just have no care in the world but but seeing a big flock of mallards or snows or, or uh, uh, you know little canadas or something there's that's man that that just really gets my heart pumping yeah and and i would agree like I've really tried to, um, in the last handful of years, really change my perspective into that same thing. Like, you know, I used to always feel when I was younger, like I was wishing away the September, early October stuff. Cause I'm like, man, I just want those green heads to get, I just want those green heads yeah. to get here. And I missed so much of it that, you know, it was always like, ah, oh, these dumb divers or oh, I just got a whole <laughs> bunch of teal or whatever. And now I've, I feel like I really learned to appreciate just, you know, watching, those first blue wings kind of come in and, and book it before anybody else gets here. And, you know, seeing all the divers start to roll through and, you know, you're always surprised how late green wings stick around, you know, you shoot these beautiful gigantic stud green wings, like mid to late November. And it's like, it's wild to see them come through your decoys. And 
it's hard to pass up shooting a green head for a green wing, but man, they're delicious and it's fun to see them. And they're just absolutely beautiful this time of year up here too. And um, yeah, like you said, snow geese, I don't spend a ton of time chasing them. Um, but man, the, the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we had some really awesome hunts for some snows up here and especially in the fall. Um, and the, there's a ton, a ton of juvies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I heard all week friends shooting anywhere from 200 to 600, you know, God and dang. they were only shooting, you know, seven, eight, 10 guys a lot of times. So it wasn't like they brought out, you know, 25 dudes and tore it up, but, um, there's nothing like it. If, if you've never laid under a, a huge, like big, big, big push of birds, especially snow geese, it's, it's mind blowing just to see how, how they fly and the sounds and how in the world they don't just all crash into each other up there. Yeah. I think they do sometimes. Yeah. I've gotten a couple, I got a couple of photos where they're just crashing right into each other and it's, it just baffles me how many of them they are. And like, there's a feed every two miles and you know, a feed for those. It's like, it might be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 birds. And it's like, how in the world is there just so many of these dang things? It doesn't end. It's you crazy. Know, everywhere you look, the entire sky is moving. It's it's pretty special. And I feel like I, we caught it on a couple of those days where they were kind of cut, coming through the area. And, man, I just I just close. You know, you're just sitting there in your layout, and you're like, this is unbelievable to see this many birds. Like, I have no idea. Did you see a million today? I have no idea. You know, it's like at a certain point, you're like, more than 100,000? Like, a ton? I have no idea. <laughs> For hours, there was just flock after flock after cloud and waves of them. And even if they're a mile high, you can still see them. And it's fun to see. I've tried to count, like even in the spring, watching those big migration days when that lead edge adult push is going on and they're just, you know, a mile high, 30,000 feet, just headed for Canada. And I've tried to count them and and it's just like the spectacle of seeing it. Even if you don't get the chance to shoot at them, just seeing that many snow geese flying over you all day long, if you got the right conditions. And I've tried to count and I figure there's been days where I've seen over a million going over and, and who, who knows, you know, you never really know how many you're seeing, but you try to count, you go, oh, 10, 20. Okay. That's a hundred. Okay. That's probably a thousand. And it goes from end to end. The entire horizon goes from end to end. So if that's a thousand, that's a thousand, that's, that's 10,000, you know, and then it just for hours and hours, it's so cool to see. And I, and I just want to back up and clarify one thing too, about teal and, and all the other, I don't want to sound like a mallard purist or anything like that. I've always, I've always hated that growing up. I've definitely become a little bit more of a fan of just trying to shoot mallards if I get the chance, but I'm going to take every duck hunting opportunity I can. And I've had a few people discuss, discuss on the internet with me about, about me because I want to yeah, discuss, you know, how people are on social media. Um, me trying to extend the season so we have more opportunities at late season mallards. Like, well, you're taking away the opportunity to shoot teal in the early season. I'm like, I want to create something where it works for everybody. And yes, we only have a 60 day framework to work with. So what is the right solution? I don't know. Uh, Move to the Dakotas probably because we get longer seasons there. You got high plains units, you know, yeah, uh, believe me, I've come so close to just packing up and moving to South Dakota so many times. It, it's it's not even funny, but I, I love where I live right now. So it's been hard. But, uh, you know, I, I've tried to push for maybe getting some sort of river zone in Minnesota where the water stays open. Sometimes the argument is, hey, only so many people have access to fields along rivers where there's water open in late November. I mean, we got 10,000 lakes. You'd think there'd be some open water 
places where you get some birds late season more than just along the Minnesota or Mississippi rivers, but traditionally that's probably where the majority of the birds are. So, so I, I kind of get that argument, but at the same time, it's like, if they're telling me that I'm taking away somebody's opportunity to shoot teal on September 21st when it's 150 degrees out and you got to walk through waist deep mud, then technically you're kind of taking away my opportunity to sit in an A-frame in a cut cornfield, drinking a cup of coffee or diet Mountain Dew or whatever the case may be and watching a swarm of 500 mallards come bombing into my decoys. Like who's, who's right? And yeah, there may be fewer people doing it later, but why, why should that opportunity r- really be less than... I don't know. I mean, and we had green wings. Green wings are a lot of fun too. And they are hardy little birds, so much tougher and they're smaller than blue wings and they're so much tougher than blue wings, you know, and we, we got them here early and then we, they stuck around forever. And I think I shot more green wing teal this year than I, than I probably ever have because that's, that's really all we had access to. We luckily the, like the, the wood ducks left and the blue wing teal left and then the green wings showed up and then pintails showed up for a little while. I know Dan got into pintails a little bit over here, which doesn't happen too often, but the green wings stuck around and then they finally left when the mallards showed up and then it was over. So it was a, yeah. So how do you do it? And maybe, you know, like do they offer an A and B license? You know, if you, if you get a B, you start, you know, October, in November, if you get an A, you get the first September. You know, we we kind of do that in South Dakota, where the bag limits. Um, you can either get your traditional one, where where they're gender specific, you know, and then or you can get another like a separate license, a secondary license, the splash um, bag, and you, you yeah, you can shoot just three of anything. Yeah. Um, and once you commit to that, that's how you have it the rest of the season, which maybe something like that for dates would work out. But how do you, what do you think of that? That splash bag's only been around for what, two years, something like that. So. Yeah. What do you think about that? And what do other hunters in South Dakota, have they, have they seen positives or negatives to it that you've noticed? I, I haven't yet. Um, I don't know of anybody that, that I hunt with that has taken the three yeah. bird, whatever bag limit kind of thing. Um, I th- yeah. I'd be curious to know what the numbers are, if people are actually using that or not. Yeah, I would too. Um, And maybe, yeah, I I guess I've just never felt like, you know, canvas back or pintails. Like I've never wanted to shoot more of them than I'm allowed kind of a feeling to where I, you know, I'm like, I I feel like with our normal bag limits, you can have plenty to choose from and plenty to, you know, feed yourself for a while. So I don't have any complaints about that there, but yeah. I, it, it's, I'm just like, man, if someone just shoots three hen pintails just because they can, I'm like, why? <laughs> that part to me is a little cringe, but I, I've even had conversations with people that I, that I feel like I respect their opinion. And they're like, man, you know, you see some of these early pile pictures from guys that are hunting them in Canada and they're all brown. So I, I'm not knocking on anybody, but it's like, dude, there's a pile of hen pintails yeah. in there or hen mallards or whatever. And some folks are like, man, that makes no difference in the grand scheme of things. And when you talk about it from a 10,000 foot view, you know, right. it makes no difference. Some guys are like, dude, if, if we put that, the limits to be different up there, it would totally change the game down here. I don't know, you know, but nobody that I hunt with has had that. So I, I really don't know much about that. I know we, we hunted Saskatchewan this year, Dan and I did, and it was mostly geese. We were trying to hunt Canada or uh, snow geese and specks and, and get into cranes a little bit, but we did find one pond that had some teal and, and a few other ducks on it. And we hunted it and we're like, oh, that's a pintail. Oh, that's a pintail. 
And it, same thing. It was early September, so they were all brown. But yeah, we could have shot, you know, our 16 pintails or whatever it was up all there. Hands. All hands. Well, all brown ones I anyway. Think. But, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I think in one hand, there's so much less hunting pressure on those ducks up there that maybe, you know, things kind of even out in the long run. But it makes you wonder a little bit about how important certain bag limits are in certain areas. And yeah, I don't want to go out there and shoot a bunch of hen pintails by any means. But uh, um, and, I, and honestly, like early season mallards, you know, A, they're not going to look very good, which is fine because I like eating them, but they're not fatty anyway. So like that's the other reason why I want to shoot mallards in late November is just because usually those are the ones that are fattened up. They look the best. They're the most yeah. fun to hunt and they're going to taste the best when you put them on the table. Now I'm not going to say teal don't taste good. Not, we shot some fatty green wings this year too, which were pretty good, but man, the size and the size of that mallard breast versus the size of that teal breast, you know, getting a nice fatty mallard breast is you're just getting so much better uh, so much better table fare than you are from anything else. So it's, it's hard to argue against it other than opportunity for some people, I guess, but I would agree. There's not a lot of things I think of when I think of November mallards and I'm like, mm, I don't like that part. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I guess the only thing I can think of is Thanksgiving means that more people are home, which means more people are hunting. Um, that's the only thing I can think of that I don't love about November. But other than that, I'm like, dude, there's Man. nothing better. Well, and the other thing is, and in this one of the one of those guys that I was discussing this with on Facebook, he was talking about, well, people people don't hunt in November because they're too busy deer hunting. And I, I'm like, well, that's their choice because honestly, that's my favorite time to go because that usually opens up a lot of hunting opportunities because it opens up a lot of a lot of cornfields if if they're not deer hunting nearby it or something. But it opens up a lot of ag where you can get into fields. And, and, and that's usually when the best push of birds is at least for our part of the state, that's usually the best time to go. So I know when I, even when I lived in North Dakota, as soon as the, the, the gun season started for deer hunting, man, we got so excited because I lived in Fargo and we, you know, to, to go to really, to go hunt when I lived in Fargo, I had at least an hour drive to get away from the city, to get away from all the pressure, to get onto fields and things like that. And when the deer hunting season would start, we would smash within about 15 minutes of town because nobody would be out there duck hunting and there'd be yep. mallards and pintails and all, all, all sorts of stuff moving through, but the fields would open up because they're too busy driving around trying to chase deer around. So man, I, I don't know. I just, it's going to be hard to tell me that mid to late <laughs> uh, November hunting is the best for waterfowl. Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat. I agree with you. At least up here. And, and as a photographer, I'll tell you what, I got, I took some pictures of mallards the other day and it, it is, I mean, it just doesn't, it's almost like spring at this point, right? When the, cause the birds are starting to get colored up and trying to take pictures of early season waterfowl just isn't that great. Spring is, spring is the best, but, um, I got some really cool, uh, mallard stuff the other day because I finally found a nice pod of them that I could take pictures of and, uh, they just look great, man. It's shooting with a camera and i know that that's become a real popular thing everybody these days has a camera in their blind but man it's 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 hard to it feels just like hunting you know it's mm -hmm. it's the same thing you're hiding it's not any easier so, now some guys go to like parks or preserves or whatever refuges and, and yeah shoot for sure from the window and that's fine but you can tell you can tell those style of photos versus someone who you're like, I know that that guy was sitting in the cattails hiding. Like there's no way that it's not a golf course. I can tell it's not a golf course, you know? Yeah. Um, but man, it's, it's so much fun. I love 
taking the photos of them. I love going back to the computer and looking through hard drives or, you know, your memory card of them and, and you seeing the ones that line up cool. And, um, yeah, there, there's, I think it's opened up a lot of, um, like in my world and my circle cool, of friends yeah. and stuff, it's, it's opened up a lot of conversation for people to understand the respect that I have to these animals. Um, you know, people are like, how, how do you, how do you go from telling me that this is like such a cool bird and all the intricacies of, you know, how they fly and how they, when they go feed and mate and their calls and all this stuff, you know, about these birds and then you shoot them. And it's like, man, it's, it's not like that. It's not this, like the shooting thing is just the byproduct of hunting. Like that's, that's how I eat. So that's how I get them to the table. But the entire process leading all the way up to the last 15 yards, when you call the shot, that's what I love about this sport and that and the bird in particular. Um, it's, it's not that hard to be proficient with a shotgun. It's yeah. hard to hide. It's hard to trick them. It's, it's hard to scout. It's hard to get permission. It's hard to learn how to blow a call. It's hard to walk hundreds of yards back into these things, you know, at dark bringing in decoys and all that stuff. That's the part that I love. The last bit is just, just the name of the game, but um, there's just nothing that I like more than just being around these things and learning about them and, you know, whether it's with a camera or with a gun, you know, as long as they're on the other end of it, I, I dig it. I'm into it. I definitely enjoy, I mean, I love shooting ducks. Don't get me wrong. And I love the whole thing too, setting up, calling at them, tricking them. But I love taking pictures of them now. And I'm, I've told you this before. I'm an opportunistic guy. So uh, to be fair, the mallards I took pictures of were in a park the other day. Uh, yeah. They were completely wild, but they're definitely accustomed to, uh, to being around some people. So I was able to get kind of close. You can't get right up next to them, but you can get kind of close to them. And, uh, but I enjoy that too, because they are, there are wild ducks and it's nothing else. It's good practice, but you get, you get a chance to see wildlife in a situation that you don't normally get to get to be that close to them. And to be able to take some of those pictures, I think is, is kind of fun. But Dan will tell you too, that how many times have we been in like an A-frame this year, Dan, and there's, you know, five or six of us hunting or whatever, and I've never even loaded my gun. I'm just taking pictures of whatever's coming in. Yeah, and it doesn't make a difference to how many we shoot anyway, so might as well take pictures. Because <laughs> I'm just missing them. Yeah. Well, and, and it is tough. And, and honestly, there you have to, uh, I don't think people realize how hard it is to be a waterfowl photographer or videographer in the wild in a hunting situation because when you're shooting with a gun, you can completely hide everything until you pop up to shoot. And at that point, you don't have to be that stealthy anymore, but trying to get a camera out of the blind and film them or take pictures of those birds decoying, coming in, dumping, setting up, you know, you want to get them cupped up and working in. And if you're filming them, you want to, if they wing trick at all, you're trying to capture all that. And then if you do have hunters with you too, you're trying not to get busted so that your buddies don't give you a hard time for ruining it for them that day. <laughs> yes, that is so true. There's so many variables that you're like, well, that would be an awesome spot to hide besides the fact that there's this gigantic thing that's in the way or the sun is, you know, in your eyes or whatever. There's just so many variables that go along with it that it's it, it can get tricky, but I guess that's just part of the the game that you're after and that you want to play. But it's part of the challenge man. for sure. Yeah. What So what if you, as a guy that's spent a lot of time doing it, you know, what what's your favorite waterfowl hide? If you're in some sort of blind, what's your favorite 
hide to shoot out of uh, with a camera, you know, like say a, a layout or an A-frame or, you know, a pit or what have you shot out of that you like the best? I would say a, um, it's, it's difficult to shoot from like the ground when you're like in a layout or even hiding under socks and stuff. The, the hiding under socks thing is cool because a lot of the images, especially like a wide angle shot where they're right on top of you and you get all this stuff, that's, that's kind of a cool shot. But I like for all aspects, if I had to pick probably an A-frame, yeah. um, just because you can get low and you can take, you know, photos of the dog coming back to the decoys, which are cool. You can, you you know, if you're real low in certain angles, you can get them over the decoys. With a pit, it's it's cool when, when you shoot them and they're right above you and they have no idea that you're there, but all your photos end up being pretty much mostly blue skies and, yeah. you know, some dog photos that are, that don't necessarily do it for me, but um, I think anything that you can get, like a little bit of sky, some foreground, you know, so you can see the whole thing. I think that that's what does it for me because that's where you can connect and be like, I've been in cattails. I know that that's what a mallard looks like dropping into some cattails. Like that's just what does it for me. And that, that's what I try to represent in my photos too. Um, or, or just even like a diver, like you're not going to necessarily get them like doing this whole crazy aerobatic thing in the air all the way. I mean, they're just going to skirt right by and they're going to be at water level and people that hunt them, they know that. So that's why I want it to look like, this is what it actually looks like. And if you enjoy this sport and you participate in it, you would know that, you know, um, natural to their environment and to how they actually live out there. Yeah. There, you know, I've been so frustrated at times when I'll get a really cool shot of a, of a pheasant or, you know, a mallard or whatever the case may be. And it's just, there's no contrast with anything. It's just blue sky behind them or there's no, there's no background. There's no, no habitat. It's just this blue sky and a bird and the birds and you know, like I got this pheasant shot that, uh, um, I don't know if I can talk about it yet or not, but it's going to be on a billboard pretty soon. And it, it's a really cool, it's a really cool shot of this pheasant. And I mean, it was, it almost flew into my face. Like I put the camera up. I think I put it on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I almost had to put the camera up as a defensive, <laughs> defensive <laughs> mode. Cause it, the dogs flushed it right. I just took the dogs for a walk with the camera and uh, they flushed it right at me. And it's one of my favorite pheasant shots. And you got, uh, you know, the tail is curling and you know, the wings are out and it's just this really cool shot. And, uh, let's see if I can, there it is on the right there, Dan. Yep. And I've got a couple of different versions. Thankfully I had, I had the super high speed going on the shutter. So that's one of the shots. There's, there's probably five or six in that sequence that I really liked and it's a great shot, but I wish I would have had some sort of contrasting background or something with it too. And I can't really complain about it, I guess, I guess, but no, I agree. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I've some of my favorite pintail ones on, on a particular day, how they were working and where they were landing was just a, a big cutout where these two cattail sections ended and there was kind of this little channel there. And so there's just not a lot behind them. So a lot of the ones I have that are just super clean and crisp, there's just a lot more blue sky than I'd want, you know? And it's like, man, if I could, if he just would have scooted over, you know, five feet to the other side, there would be tons of cool cattails and all this other stuff. Um, but that's, you don't control them. You're just no. there to enjoy the show. Got to get what you can get and, and just hope for the yeah. best. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've gone out on a mission, a photo mission, and you'll spend a couple hours, like some of that pheasant stuff that I did in the snow. Uh, I probably spent two weeks, probably every morning and afternoon, pretty much for two weeks straight out there. And if, if I went out there for three hours and sat and froze my butt off in the snow, if I got one shot that I was happy with, 
then it, then it was all worth it. You know, you, you hope for the best and you take what you can get. And, uh, you know, the more you go out there, the luckier you get. And I, I just want to go back to, um, hunting out a, a like a frames for one second too, because this is the, the struggle is, and I'm curious how you do it because, you know, a lot of times, and I do have a little camel wrap on my lens. I've got the, the Canon 70 to 200, the, the, the white one, which mm-hmm. Corey, Corey Loeffler immediately printed off some sticky camo and wrapped it on there to try to camo it when we were turkey hunting. He looked at my lens. He's like, come on, man. <laughs> the thing's going to glow in the woods. So he camoed it up for me a little bit, but you're still sticking this this lens in this black body, which I don't have any camo on the body, uh, kind of up and up and over it. And I'll, I'll try to kind of work it through some stubble that we've got up on the front of the A-frame and try to even kind of bend some of the stubble around the top of it to try to cover it up as much as I can. But it's tough, especially if they're working over the top of you, if you're the, you know, if they're geese and they're going to give you another pass or something, they come over a little bit high. It's kind of like once you're up there, you don't want to move. You're, you're kind of screwed like, ah, don't, don't look up, you know, don't move. Um, but w- one little trick that I've that I've had some success with is if we've got two A-frames next to each other, I'll sit where they join. Mm-hmm. And then I'll try to kind of poke out through, through the middle of those middle flaps there where they're joining. And it's, it's a little bit of a lower angle and it's sometimes hard to maneuver, but sometimes it's depending on, on our situation, it's been a little bit easier to hide the camera that way. Yeah. That's 100% been the same experience I've had. And I, I tend to like those photos better where you can get more of a little bit of everything opposed to just the, the kind where you, you know, point, point them right over the top of the A-frame. Cause that's kind of what everybody's used to seeing is that eye level. Um, so then you do something that's way lower and all of a sudden it's like, well, that's a cool vantage point or, you know, just a little bit different, different look. Have you ever done the muskrat house, the floating muskrat house deal and, and gone out in the water? Man, I haven't, I've seen it. And I'm like, I've screenshotted so many of them to try to find what <laughs> version of that would work great. Yeah. I would love to see one kind of like that that's not mounted to like a tripod or any sort of device that you could still freehand it and that had like a viewing window up top because mm. um, those, the muskrat style ones that I've seen or the fake swan or that kind of stuff, it's like, that would be awesome. Maybe divers would be cool right on, you know, skimming the water or when they're like actually on the water. But that last like, 40 yards, you know, when they're still like doing the thing and coming in, like, I love all that stuff so much that it requires kind of a lot of movement and a lot of, um, it's just kind of all over the place. So it wouldn't work well for that situation, but man, if there was a way to hide and do that, Holy smokes, that'd be cool. Yeah. I, I just I, go ahead. Art. I was going to say, I, I always feel like, and I'm, and I'm sure in hunting too, I'm always like, crap, they can totally see me. <laughs> I always like, it feels yeah. like, I feel like I'm a seven year old that did something wrong and mom is just about <laughs> to find out like constantly, you're constantly just like, oh crap, I can't move. They're going to bust me. I know they're going to, and a lot of times like, do they have no idea you're there? You spent hours grassing this thing or whatever. Um, but I it's all, like, it's always the cameraman's fault. It's always sure. the cameraman's fault. For I, sure. And I've been on both sides of that. Like I, I, I know we filmed a couple of shows where I was hosting and we had a camera guy set up in a, you know, in the field behind us and he had this big tripod and this big shoulder camera. And it was, I mean, might as well just been parked in a pickup, you know, behind the spread behind us. But, uh, and I don't know, you know, it's hard to say if he didn't, we were hunting snow. So did he actually get busted or were they just being snow geese? You know, it's, it's hard right. to tell sometimes what it is, but now that I'm usually the guy with the camera, I'm like, it's not my fault. It wasn't yeah. 
It's oh, it's oh. the best when when you kind of feel like they're starting to lean into like, well, there was one guy out of the blind, you know, whether you're hiding in gilly blankets or whatever, you know, and then all of a sudden you bring your truck and trailer and two of them land and you look at them <laughs> like, ha, ah. yeah, like, yeah, you know, I told you it wasn't me. Um, yeah, I've definitely gotten yelled at a few times and then or, or you just get self-conscious. And, and if the first couple groups don't work right, I'm not sticking my camera out at least until the guys get some birds on the ground and get to pull the trigger a little bit, then I'll go back to filming. But if they're not working right away, I, I just try to eliminate that one. It's not me. It wasn't me. Yep. Don't blame me this time. I did my part. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, I, no, I could sit and talk uh, waterfowl photography with you, I think all day, Art, honestly. Um, but we, we should probably save some for the next podcast. But let's, uh, what, you got plans this winter? You know, we're doing this Alaska trip. Do you got any trips? planned are you gonna go out and do some waterfall stuff somewhere yeah i think we're we're pretty well froze up here and then we we run until um valentine's day with our resident geese population um and that's fun it it can kind of bring the best and worst of folks you know they band a lot of birds so you get the, that crowd that is all about that and then you get all the people that i don't know it just seems like there's always all that stuff when when there's just like a concentrated bird amount and there's only a certain amount of places they can go and people trying to get them everywhere so i typically try to jet and try to get to Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas a little bit. So uh, I'll be heading back down that way. I'm just trying to finalize a couple of little travel details and try to either, it's always like, do you fly to a location and you kind of stick to that area or do you yeah. drive and, you know, roll the dice on weather and especially everything around this time of year, you never know what you, you know, we've had snow in Texas some of the years I've been there. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like, oh man, you just, you really roll the dice and see what happens. But it's, it's an adventure either way. And I, I know I'll, I'll head south too so i like to drive man i I mean flying's fine but uh especially when you got hunting gear camera gear if i got my dogs with or whatever driving is so much it's you know i think it's easier it's a little bit longer and you got to drive and all that Mm -hmm. stuff and if you're driving to texas that's a good that's a good haul but uh i just think it's easier if you're if you're hauling all your stuff and keep all your stuff in your truck and things like that and i do you are you gonna go down and see uh see toby then at cadillac creek yeah yep Yep, I always look forward to that trip, and you try to get down there every year. Usually, at the end, somewhere in December, January, and um, Toby and all the dudes from Cadillac have been awesome friends of of us, me personally, and Alclair as well. They've just been wonderful, wonderful dudes. So I always like my time down there, and I usually try to spend about a week or so with them. And um, yeah, I I love being down there. It's it's a fun style of hunting. It's um, it's not what I normally do with you know they they run big groups and they make big piles and stuff, but uh, it's fun to see the excitement, uh, from folks who don't get to do that often. Um, and, and even up here, like if we're hunting five guys, like that's kind of like where I'm like, okay, that's enough dudes. You know, we yeah. don't need a ton more. And there's some, there's some days where you get 10 guys and you beat them up and it's fun. And I'm not against it necessarily. Like I'll never do it again, but my preferred style is like, if you get three really good friends that, yeah. that work all together, that's just perfect for me. Um, but there's something fun with, you know, they get 15, 20 dudes that are from parts of the country where they, they might only kill five, seven hours a year, you know? Yeah. Um, and they, all of a sudden you shoot a hundred birds and it's eight three in the morning and they're, they're, you can just tell that they're just, they've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It's, it's fun. You know, um, it's exciting and it's fun to see the dogs work and just be under big spins of birds like that. And they're, they're a great group of guys. So I'll enjoy that. I went down there with, with Corey, uh, Loeffler a couple of years ago, that sick of whites, trip that we did down to Oklahoma and Kansas and Texas. And I didn't know 
Toby Brolin and um, so he's like, yeah, we're going to, I talked to Toby. I think we're going to get down there to, to Am- Amarillo. And I was like, ah, oh, cool. You know, I'm, I've been to Texas a little bit, but I've never been there and I didn't really know him. And I, so I was kind of, you know, we're in the truck and I was kind of Googling a little bit and I saw a picture <laughs> of him. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know what, I didn't know what to expect, you know, tattoos all over and, you know, didn't really look like a typical waterfowl hunter. And man, he couldn't have been a nicer guy, uh, while we were down there. Like what, what just a, a just a, a great human being, um, just couldn't have, couldn't have had a, a better time. The hunt was, the hunt was good. Shot some bird. I just filmed, I think the whole time, but, uh, man, what a, what a neat guy down there. He really is. Yeah. It was, it was actually crazy. So, um, Toby and I connected on a, on a music thing. Um, someone was asking about some in-ear product and he tagged the music side of our company or something along those lines. So we started talking and uh, we, we kind of, he made a joke or I made a joke, something about uh, like a speckle belly goose. And we both were like, wait a second, did you just say speckle belly? Like, cause <laughs> I didn't know what he looked like. I had no idea about Cadillac Creek. I didn't know anything about him. Um, we were just, just, just the dude on the internet that I was talking about in-ears with. And, uh, we both were like, holy cow, you know, like it's crazy. We both love music. We both traveled and played and he plays guitar as well. And, um, obviously the hunting conversation came up and we both obviously connected real well on that. And he said, man, you need to come down here. And I had just had my, my son, I can't remember if he was just about to be born or he was born, but we made the trip happen. And, and like you said, I had no idea what to expect. Um, especially with guides in general, this is no, no, um, shade at anybody in particular, but they're, they're an interesting group of dudes. And, uh, the same thing, you get the tattoos and the mustache and just the way that they run their hunts. Um, he was, he's been nothing but a great friend to me. And and we spend a a ton of time talking, even not about waterfowl hunting and throughout the rest of the year. Um, but all of them were, were extremely cool and welcomed me with, with wide open arms. And, um, ever since that first trip, I knew I was like, man, I really want to make this a thing where I get to come down here and spend some time with these guys. And it's been an awesome friendship and awesome relationship and they just crush them. They're, they're good dudes. And I was, I was impressed too. I wasn't expecting, uh, we stopped at Falco too. And with the guys there, um, I think it was JD there and then Toby at Cadillac Creek prayed before the hunt. And I hadn't yeah. really seen that before. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I think that's, I've, I've really appreciated that about Toby. Um, he doesn't necessarily put on the front of like, he's one way in person or on the internet and one way in real life, which I've ran into those guys plenty, you know, when, when they act a certain way online and you see him and you're like, man, that's not the same dude on Instagram as it is in real life. And, yeah. and that's not him. He's the real deal. Um, he, I think he, he practices what he's preaching. He believes he's, he's not the fake kind that won't say bad words and make the jokes and, you know, do the thing. But at the end of it, you can totally tell anybody that, that actually knows him, you know, will say like, dude, that dude is, I mean, he's a real deal and he's super kind and all the things he's a, he's a great person. And yeah, it's cool how they run their hunts. I was, I thought that was really neat that they did that. And um, yeah, can't say enough good things about all those guys down there. Yeah, it was a fun time. All right, Art. Uh, well, if people want to know more about Al Claire or uh, see your photography, tell us where we should go on the internets. Yeah, so mine is my name is Art Diaz. Um, so I just Art Diaz Photos is my uh, Instagram handle where I post um, pretty much most of my uh, hunting photography stuff there. Um, as far as work goes, Al Claire Outdoors is our all of our social handles, so Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. And then um, Alclair.com, um, will we'll get you right where you need. 
we're we're super so we're super um, active on social, so we're always posting about sales or what we got going on, where we'll be, you know, at events and trade shows and things like that. But please, if we're in your area, come through. Um, a big part of what we do is um, I, I love taking care of folks, being intentional with spending time with them, communicating. Like I am for sure thrive on interaction with folks and people. Um, so if I'm in your area, if you're an outfitter and you, you see me photographing another place or I'm on a work trip or whatever, please reach out. Um, I love making new friends and, and going on adventures. So um, yeah, I look forward to crossing paths with you guys on the road. And if you need anything, please feel free to shoot us a DM, my personal page or my work page for whichever reason. And uh, would love to chat and hang out. Well, I, I'm happy to be working with you guys. I'm looking forward to using uh, all the products that uh, that we'll be using. We've been using some already for a while, and you'll be seeing some of the videos uh, from from Kodiak, Alaska, as well, too. And we still need to get together and do some hunting this year. So uh, after we get back from Alaska, we may have to do chase some pheasants around if we get some time. But uh, or or maybe we'll just have to make a trip somewhere. You know? You yes, just, I would. I would know. agree. We were we were on just on so close with. Um, Thanksgiving and my daughter turned one a couple days after. So it was just a busy last couple days, but I would love to get up there. And yeah, like you said, even just hunt pheasants, I would, I would absolutely love that. We'd love to make that happen. Let's do it. All right, man. Art Diaz. Thanks for the time today on the show. Thank you so much, man. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra-point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And iCast and FTEX winner, the Live Shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. It's ice fishing season and time to plan your trip to Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. Stay at the Lakeside Resort along the Rainy River in one of their new cabins and enjoy delicious meals and hot or cold beverages in the Miles Lab Bar and Grill. Or stay in one of their comfortable sleeper houses on the ice complete with a TV, stove, and lots of walleyes right beneath your feet. You also have the option of staying at their motel, the Walleye Inn, located in Bidet. Book your ice fishing trip to famous Lake of the Woods today at riverbendresort.com. That's riverbendresort.com. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast, uh, by subscribing to the podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, by listening on demand at sportingjournalradio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. Make sure you like it and share it and subscribe to our channel. Share this report with all your friends because we're going to let you know what's going on up at Lake of the Woods right now with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, how you doing? Good, Brett. You know, I, uh, I, I find myself, if I'm uh, driving any distance, a lot of times I'll just jump on the web and search out sporting journal radio podcast and and uh it's it's always interesting i'll tell you that much i love it 
Yeah, we try to make it fun for you. And uh, these are these these reports are some of our most popular ones too. People are always curious on on what's going on up at Lake of the Woods, what they're catching fish on, how the fish are biting, what ice conditions are like. And I want to get into ice conditions uh, here in just one second, but we should hit the headline that's going on right now, and that there was uh, we've been hearing about uh, some rumors about this. Now it's finally in the news that there's been a sale of some resorts up there along the Rainy River, Joe. Yeah, you know what? Uh, there, there certainly has been, and this has actually been. I mean, it, it happened a while ago, so you know, maybe for for some it's new news, but it's been actually there for a while. So, um, you know, uh, a couple of uh, investors, a couple of business owners, purchased um, three resorts and leased another one up at Lake of the Woods. So, the purchase of three resorts was with um, Sportsman's Lodge in the South End on the Rainy River, actually. Um, Borderview Lodge and Wheeler's Point Resort. And then they're leasing a fourth resort right now, um, Rainy River Resort. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting how the world works. You know, I've, I've met, um, I've certainly met one of the owners, one of the two owners, and they also own Bluefin Bay up on the North Shore, which a lot of people know of, a very nice resort. And um, But, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the owner I deal with has been very good to work with. You know, I uh, they have a, a, a management team running it, um, and you know that the company that runs it you know leisure hotels they uh you know i, I met for uh, a few people so far they've all been very nice very down-to-earth people they're all from uh, minnesota uh one of them lives in minnesota is from originally originally but uh um but yeah just down-to-earth people very nice people and you know i kind of shake my head there's a lot of uh, i think there's a lot of people that right away want to go to the negative oh Big corporations come into Lake of the Woods. Oh, things are going to change for the worse. Oh, they're going to turn everything into condos. There won't be any resorts left. I mean, I've heard it all. And, you know, I have to tell you that, you know, there's pros and cons to everything you do in life. You know, there can actually be some very nice positive to this as well. You know, the positives would be, number one, the people that are, are you know, running this. The first thing they do is they come in and they speak with the employees and they find out, hey, what's, you know, what do you do? Um, what would you like to do? Do you want opportunity down the road? Um, they, they try to put people in the right spots and they're not, they're not getting new people to come in. They don't, there aren't new employees to get to come in. They're, they're working with existing employees. I think in some cases, uh, uh, things have gotten uh, better for some. And, and I just think it, it, it can be a good positive. The other thing that's nice is that in a market where let's say you have a special event, you need the extra help. It's hard to get those extra employees when all they can shift employees from one resort to the other to help fill voids like that. If there's ever equipment that breaks down, they can slide equipment or resources from one resort to the other one. And and uh, it can actually be a big positive in many, many ways. So so I'm excited for the future. And uh, I also uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the people that sold their resorts that were looking to sell. I mean, it, you know, hopefully it's going to be a win win down the road. You know, you were talking about it being very Minnesotan, and that was a very Minnesotan way to explain it with the appropriate usage of the word ope multiple times in that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, I saw that. Uh, I don't know I'm doing it. <laughs> See, <laughs> then it's then you're doing it right. Uh, and Jeff Anderson is going to be uh, kind of running everything, it sounds like. Yeah, so Jiggy, I, I, you know, his nickname is Jiggy in the fishing industry, but he's been around the fishing industry for years and years. And uh, Jeff's re- really good guy, very accomplished. Uh, a lot of people know him. Uh, he's he's been a guide for a long time. He worked with Clam Outdoors. Um, just he's done a lot of things. Very accomplished guy. But you know, so he moved his family up to the Warroad area, and uh, he has uh, you know some kids that, that are play hockey, and uh, and a daughter is a figure skater. And he, they just 
they, they moved up there recently, so it was very opportune. Now, he had relationships with this uh, this group of people for many, many years based on where he worked before. Um, and they always thought a lot of them, like a lot of us do. And so Jeff is going to be the general manager. And, uh, you know, I think it bring a lot to the party. And, uh, I, you know, I, again, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see how things transpire. Well, I know people are anxious to do some ice fishing. Uh, there's been a little bit of ice fishing going on around the region. Uh, we had a little bit of a warm up, but from the sounds of it, a lot of ice uh, stayed stayed pretty good. We built pretty good ice early. Uh, obviously, it's still early in a lot of areas, so be very careful. I'm not telling you to go out there to, to do any ice fishing, uh, but some areas ice is building well. How is it going up at Lake of the Woods? Well, it's going great, and we're, we we are building ice now. Does that mean that we're open for ice fishing yet? You know what? No, we're not. Um, there, there is some spearing and some tip-up fishing going on in, in Bostic Bay. I know uh, they're, they're checking ice all over the place. The ice guides and outfitters and such are out there working hard. And, and uh, you know, it's it's not ready yet, but they will let you know when it's ready. Now, there have been a few resorts. And I always got to preface this, Brett, because when I say there's been a, a few resorts making predictions on when they think they'll get on the ice, number one, that's really dependent upon Mother Nature and what the ice conditions are on that part of Lake of the Woods. You could have one resort that has a road set up that's staked and marked and it's it's really good for, let's say, ATV use or maybe they have their, their uh, day houses out there, but then you go a little ways down the shoreline and it's not safe at all. You, you really have to work through a resort or outfitter and their trail and they'll tell you when you can go out and how you can go out. You know, it starts out with ATVs and snowmobiles, and then it goes to side by sides, and then they they eventually let you know light lighter pickups and maybe a, a SUVs go out and, and that sort of thing. Early in the year, when they put day houses out, in many cases the resorts will transport you out in a light light transportation they call it uh, to the fish houses for safety reasons. So anyway, I, I say that. To, um, be careful stay on the marked trails when the time comes but we are making progress they're marking stuff you know in some cases i see three to seven inches of ice in other cases you know uh, on the lake it's just too early yet uh things are things are building and uh, some of the predictions right around december 10th give or take which is about the norm uh, a lot of the resorts believe based on the weather forecast that they'll be able to get their their day houses out and start fishing time will tell it's interesting how ice on one lake can be completely different than ice on a different lake. Obviously there's a number of factors that come into play, but when you think about, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the rescue that took place on another lake recently that seems to happen on that lake on a numerous occasion, you know, it seems like something like that happens just about every year that you don't hear about things like that, that happen on other bodies of water. Well, that, that's correct. And, you know, I think, um, you, you said it right. There's a lot of things that affect ice conditions. And uh, it's everything from how far north you are to do you have current in the lake? How deep is the lake? Um, are there is there waterfall that keeps holes open on the lake? You know, even on Lake of the Woods, like I said earlier, you can be fishing in, or going out in one area and the ice is just fine. And you go down the shoreline and there might be, maybe the ice blew in in sheets and it broke stuff open. So then you had, you know, four or five inches of ice, and then nothing, open water. So when that freezes, you, know, you have to take the, the, the thinnest piece of ice and consider that when you're transporting somebody. And so it's just very, very different. But Brett, you, to your point, 
ice freezes very differently. Every lake, every system is different. Heck, there's there's ice on the Rainy River right now too. That's ice. That's iced over. And uh, I know some locals that were just going right next to their shoreline and doing a little fishing. Now, would we want the public to go and do that? Heck, no. Heck, not only do you have uh, early ice conditions, you also have current. So you, you just really have to be careful. Yeah, uh, you know, getting up there, and obviously I, I'm six hours away, so I don't know the lake as well as the locals do, but I, I just like being able to go out and have somebody that lives there and is on that ice every day be the guy that takes me out and tells me where to go. It just makes my life a little bit easier. Well, and, and I should say, too, you know, you, you think about what, what do they do? Well, so right now, as we speak, they're out there with uh, a lot of them have chainsaws. And on the chainsaws, they got different inches marked on the bars to make it quick. So they can stick that baby in, go right down, and boom. As soon as that water starts spraying, that's all, uh, you know, that's where the, that, that's how thick that ice is. How do you like my sound effects, yeah, That was pretty good. That was pretty yeah. <laughs> I, I beat Danny to the punch. Yeah. <laughs> I knew he was going to rip a chainsaw in there pretty quick. But, uh. I'm still waiting for it, Danny. We're just gonna but, save. Uh, we're just gonna save that audio of you making that noise for a chainsaw sound effect. From here here on we out. go. That's gonna be hearing that all winter. You know, <laughs> baited you into that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, but they you know they use they use chainsaws and they use chisels and uh, you saw one of the resorts using an airboat for safety as they go out and check the ice conditions and uh, they have light ice rigs and they're wearing flotation suits. They use ice picks around their neck. They're working in pairs. Um, and then a lot of times what they'll do is when they get out to a certain area, they mark where the thickest ice is to getting out. They might have to go around ice upheavals and things or rough ice. And then they also will flood it. So they'll drill a hole and they'll actually take a pump and pump water on top of the ice. The reason being is that that water on top of the ice is exposed to the cold air and it'll freeze quicker. So there, there's a lot of different tricks, tips and tricks they use to get that, uh, that ice roll built up. The other thing is too, stay in the ice trail. You know, a lot of times they'll build that ice road up and that ice road will be thicker ice than is uh, adjacent to it. So when you're traveling, stay in the, on the marked trail. All right, Joe. Well, it's uh, it's about time to get up there and do some fishing. I'm anxious uh, to get up there myself. And if people want to get a trip booked, where can they find more information? You know what? Everything's on our website. And that is Lake of the Woods, MN. .com. We should mention, before we go, we should mention they could probably also come talk to you at the St. Paul Ice Show. Gonna have a booth there uh, Friday, Saturday over the weekend of the ice show, and uh, lo love to speak with people. Uh, hey, we're talking Lake of the Woods ice fishing. It's really a fun time of the year. All right, Joe, have fun at the ice show, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.